Welcome to another episode of the Paul Chabot Shows. Thanks so much for joining us again. This week's topic is going to be on resiliency or redundancy, which are two different concepts slightly, but deal with the R word. And uh, I felt this was an important topic, especially in today's times. How do you make yourself resilient, your business resilient, whatever it may be? It's a buzzword. And it's a topic that I've been speaking on for about 20 years. My doctoral dissertation looked at organizational uh, resiliency after 9-11 during the terrorist attacks. And I'll chat with you about that. And I hope that you find this to be useful to you both personally and, and professionally. Uh, this program is brought to you by GOP Agent. Uh, go to GOPAgent.com. The GOP Agent, we are real estate agents across this country, registered Republicans uh, that help our clients sell or buy homes. Now, what's key about GOP Agent is none of the commission that they earn when they sell your home or help you buy a home will go towards supporting a Democrat. Why is that important? Because wherever you live, there's local, there's county, there's state, and there's a federal political action committee uh, for realtor associations. And the last two cycles, they've given more to Democrats than Republicans. So if you're a Republican looking at selling or buying a home, go to GOPAgent.com. Thank you. So when we look at organizational resiliency, uh, one might ask, well, how do, how do these organizations you know, survive in different economic times? Well, let me take you out of the, the traditional business sense for a minute. And first, think personally. Um, we all go through hardships or difficult times or doors get closed, right? But you always hear that saying about picking yourself up from the bootstraps and keep moving forward. Well, that's, that's human nature, right? We want to continue to go forward. But there's a lot of learnings about how we do this as human beings. Um, I will say as a Christian, as a faith-based person, there is no better anchor for me than into the Word of God, which provides that great hope uh, for eternity. And now let's talk a little bit about um, historically the research on resiliency. Uh, my dissertation, which you can download for free now because WikiLeaks stole it and uh, downloaded it to a site. So have at it. Uh, the dissertation is Organizational Resiliency Within the Ariano Felix Drug Trafficking Organization. Inside of a dissertation, uh, there's something called a literature review. And a literature review is, uh, it could be chapter three for me, I believe it was. You're basically writing a book within your book. And a literature review the intent and purpose really is to explore every single segment of academic research that you can that is directly tied to your subject because you want to be the subject matter expert on this. And for me, it was resiliency. And I started off my lit review, literature review, talking about human resiliency. Even though my dissertation was on, a, on an organization, I was looking at human resiliency. And what the research showed, and it's fascinating, but if you think through it, it's probably not too surprising that, um, what do you think? Are, are children or adults more resilient? And when I think of, when I, when I mentioned more resilient, think about catastrophic episodes, catastrophic change, something very dramatic that shakes the foundation. So uh, the research shows that children, children are, are more resilient than adults. And that probably makes sense from a nurturing perspective, uh, from a survivability perspective for us as humans, that as children, they may go through some very traumatic uh, life experiences, but they're able to bounce back uh, for the most part quite healthy. 
Um, adults, on the other hand, may have more of a challenge with it. Now, look, today's times, I think all rules are out the window. And I mentioned that only because mental health is front and center. A uh, study out of California based on the COVID school shutdowns showed that three-fourths of school-age kids are dealing with a mental illness. A number of them are have contemplated or at least thought about suicide, which in itself um, should raise red flags. Now, that study was just done in California. Uh, many states, I'm sure, have not done such a study. If you did, I'd imagine your numbers are going to be similar unless maybe you never shut down for, for COVID and you kept your kids in school, but more to, more to learn there. So let's now transition a little bit in from the concept of looking at um, the human nature to the organization. Look, I'm a small business owner, uh, and maybe some of you are as well. Or maybe you invest in the stock market, right? Um, well, okay, let's talk about the stock market. Do you put all of your money into just one stock? No, you diversify, right? You put it in multiple different uh, good bets, hopefully based on some good advice. That way, in case one of those doors closes, um, you have not collapsed financially. And that, that really is, putting it in a nutshell, a form of resiliency. It's about building in redundancy. You have redundant or multiple types of, uh, of protections because you've invested in multiple different stocks. Now, given if we go into a complete recession slash depression, um, all rules are off, but not necessarily, right? Uh, how about gold, right? Or cash, cash is king. So when you think about resiliency in economic times, are you not only making sure that your stock portfolio is diversified, but maybe, you know, how are you with cash in the bank, right? Or uh, some people buy gold, some people build sil buy silver, whatever it may be. Or how about the preppers that are out there? That is a, a sense of resiliency, thinking that if um, for some reason there's World Three, North Korea does something stupid. Uh, if you're a huge Walking Dead fan like I am, I watch it only for the human stories because I think it's fascinating um, uh, on, on how they story tell this. But it really is about making sure that we have another door to walk through if one closes. Uh, in law enforcement, I was uh, a law enforcement officer and I retired with 21 years from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department as a reserve deputy where I worked patrol and then worked narcotics. Some of the best training I've had uh, was in the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Academy. Well, one of the, the, the trainings um, is really about uh, not just knowing you know which weapon to go to to defend yourself or save the life of another. But let's imagine that you pull out your duty weapon and you are uh, taking on a violent subject who's shooting at you and something happens to your gun. Uh, it jams and for some reason you can't clear it, you can't see it, it's nighttime or you're running and it drops. What's your backup weapon? What have we done to build in that sense of um, redundancy so we have another weapon to go to? Well, many Officers carry a backup. It's a smaller, maybe it's a five shot or something else, something else, or maybe it's a knife or whatever it is. So we in that profession where our lives are literally on the line, you need to think about how they operate, right? Now, do Fortune 500 companies operate the same way? No, not, not necessarily. Maybe they do more now on economic footing. But let's take a 9-11, for example. I worked in the White House. I was in Washington, D.C., and I remember um, all of the stories. I remember watching the plane hit into the, the, uh, the, the Twin Towers uh, from a TV in a conference room. 
I remember going outside in Washington, D.C. and seeing all the smoke across the National Mall, which is a big grass area between the Capitol and the Pentagon. I knew that I had friends that had just gone to the Pentagon. There were folks huddled around radios in the streets where the reporting was that the Capitol had been hit, which we now know that was not the case, but it was a Pentagon. And that's where that smoke was coming from. Um, I was a brand new Navy reservist military intelligence officer at that time. And uh, part of my drilling unit um, shortly thereafter was in the Pentagon at what was called the NMCC then, their National Military Command Center. Despite the Pentagon uh, having had that attack with a plane that killed a number of American service members, um, that NMCC continued to operate. They did not vacate. Plus, you know, they didn't really have an opera. They didn't have a, an option. That's the heartbeat for Intel if you will, that goes to the J2 Joint Chiefs of Staff, the intelligence director. And obviously, 9-11 is a big deal and uh, huge intelligence issues and failures that were identified later, but they stayed open. It's sort of like your police department, right? Uh, your operations center, your dispatch, uh, they've got to continue to respond to calls. Well, let me take you to a slightly different setting during 9-11. I want you to think about the New York Fire Department. New York Fire Department um, responds to um, Trade Tower, the first one that was hit, and then the second. And they have all of their personnel that they can muster rushing to the scenes. Um, they're moving up as far as they can into these uh, stair stairwells as people are running down. And we know what happened, right? Both towers collapsed and countless uh, public safety professionals lost their lives. Now, corporations existed in the World Trade Center, and I believe some did not come back. Some did come back. It took a while. But let's go to the next day. Horrific. Imagine you're a New York firefighter that survived. And all of a sudden now, uh, many of your comrades on the department are no longer there. You've lost a lot of equipment, which also was destroyed. But yet, you are the New York Fire Department. There is no real backup for you to respond to calls in a city that is just huge. So when you think about this, uh, New York Fire Department, 9-11 happens. It demonstrates that through a catastrophic event that they were still resilient because they still responded to calls for service day in and day out immediately after uh, that, that, that huge catastrophe in American history. So now, you know, you begin to think about yourself or your business. And there's that old saying of you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, they, we're in difficult times, different times right now with the economy. We are nervous about what this could do to impact us, how we're going to put food on our table, how we are going to pay rent, pay the mortgage, uh, kids' expenses, medical bills. Dent These are all real concerns. And right now, historically, Americans uh, have more debt and less in savings than we've had in recorded history does not feel very good, does it? Um, and so, you know, this program is not just about talking about these core interesting subjects, but there's always this foundational level here on the Paul Chabot Show, and that's about keeping America strong. Ladies and gentlemen, we're only as strong as our population allows us to be. We're a government of the people for the people. If our country has major economic problems, and look, we've had them in the past, and World War II elevated us out of the Depression, 
do we still have that same sense of American spirit and patriotism today that our country had a post Pearl Harbor or 9-11? I don't know. What I can tell you is we got less people signing up to join the police force, less people to go into the military, less people to join these organizations, which we need uh, as first responders and our only responder. So America, and I'll talk about this in other uh, podcasts, but think about it. We've been around not a long time as a country. When you, we look at some of our adversaries out there, like China, that's been around, almost, you know, it feels like a bazillion years. They've seen empires come and go, ladies and gentlemen. And so they may look at us as one of those empires that here now gone tomorrow. And could that happen? Absolutely. There's an old saying, we're one generation away from extinction. So how do we build resiliency into our culture as Americans? Well, I think that is a, a different animal for a different day because that really requires this absolute love of our country. And right now, I feel like we don't have that. I feel we are a very selfish, narcissistic uh, culture right now, which is surrounded more about ourselves, our cars, our appearance, our music, our whatever it is, our Instagrams, our posts, than actually everything that was fought and died for that allowed us to have those freedoms to do all those things today. So in making sure that America is strong, we protect ourselves we, for the immediate future, our kids, our grandkids, but also the longevity of our great country. And if you believe in our great country like I do, you know there's nothing else like it. If it's not for America, this world literally collapses uh, into a third world, world everywhere. And I just don't know if we have the right political leaders in either party right now addressing this. What I do believe is that leaders, mostly uh, on both sides of the aisle, um, should have a love of country, or at least that's how it used to be. I tell folks to listen to JFK's inauguration speech. My gosh, uh, that man would not be welcome today in today's Democrat Party. Well, maybe after this election cycle and there's some waking up, listen to Ronald Reagan and others. I worry that we as Republicans, and full disclosure, I'm a conservative Republican, that there are many within my party that are looking differently upon national security. They're looking more inwards that we shouldn't be, quote unquote, the policeman of the world. Well, this goes back to resiliency and redundancy. Uh, nobody wants to be the policeman. Um, I didn't fully enjoy going to Iraq. Uh, but listen, this is, this is much bigger than an individual uh, assumption or belief. It's got it. We've got to look at this long term for our resiliency as, as a nation. That what we know historically is that when the United States of America is strong and we have a strong international presence, guess what? The world is more peaceful. That's just how it goes. When we have injected ourselves in the right way, and there's been some wrong ways, we can look at some nations across this globe that have become staunch allies and extremely successful. Just look at Europe uh, and after World War II with Nazi Germany and what the United States did there with East and West Germany helping to rebuild and then tear down this wall to Gorbachev from Ronald Reagan. Look what America did. Uh, look what America did with our former enemy of Japan, right? Uh, and now look at South Korea. Compare South Korea to North Korea, for that matter. Now, look, there's failures to point out, obviously, 
um, Iraq and Afghanistan. And I don't think I'll ever truly understand um, those places. But I will tell you, I think every generation going forward is going to be extremely gun shy about ever putting boots on the ground in either of those countries. And I can understand that. But it doesn't mean that we vacate and pull away from the world. Because historically, we've done that before. If you think about World War II for a moment, if you think about the fact that before, before Pearl Harbor, the majority of Americans wanted to remain isolationists. They did not want to get involved. What did it take for America to get involved in that war? It took us getting attacked. And that's exactly what flipped the switch. And the irony in all this is that without Japan having attacked America, Nazi Germany likely could have won in Europe. Um, Japan would have continued to conquer Asia. Those two would have continued their alliance to grow and grow. And imagine this, at some point, Europe would have fallen without a doubt to Nazi Germany. There's just no way they could have won without America. And obviously, the Pacific was ruled by Japan, and they could have continued their domination as they were doing. Fast forward from Pearl Harbor, and just imagine if there was no Pearl Harbor, but China and, I'm sorry, not China, Japan and Germany continued their march of territory. What would have happened to our country? We literally would have been surrounded, surrounded globally with a Nazi Germany controlling Europe, controlling Britain, controlling France, controlling everything, likely even Russia. Uh, a major reason that Russia won that war was because, well, uh, Hitler was dumb and decided to go attack uh, Russia. And then the cold weather locked down the Germans and they were defeated. And they were also on their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth tier of fighters at that time, fighting on multiple fronts where America was coming in um, from the other side. And so, look, it's a blessing, a blessing that uh, Japan attacked us because that flipped the switch for America to want to get engaged in this world war. And had we not, and imagine now you've got a huge Germany three, four years later, had we not gotten involved in Japan, what would have been left? Who would have been fighting? They would have came after us at some point, or we would have, it would have been about appeasement, right? Well, where does that go? Does uh, Hitler continue to exterminate Jews throughout Europe? Of course he would. Would that reach have spread globally? It's evil, so why would it not unchecked? What would have happened to America? Would we have appeased to try to find some way of not fighting? Or would we have gone all in to fight? But imagine had we gone all into fight, you've got the Empire of Japan on one coast, you got Germany on the other, all the resources they pretty much need uh, to continue to pound away. And at the same time, guess who we don't have? Uh, because Britain would have then been defeated. Uh, who are our allies that are with us? Australia, uh, small population, Canada, small population, <laughs> Mexico, no. Who's with us? So because we were attacked is the very reason um, that we fought. And you think about the resiliency and the redundancy of what we built in to our military uh, over and over and over again to fight those battles. Uh, when I went to um, Iraq in 08, 
I had a chance to author a strategy on how to defeat Al-Qaeda in Iraq based on my dissertation work. And you can find that uh, strategy. It's unclassified now, which you can read. And when we look about, when we talk about evil organizations that we're trying to dismantle, whether they're drug cartels, organized crime, sophisticated prison gangs, terrorist networks, um, these organizations are very resilient. They are like Fortune 500 companies that build in redundancy. I'll give you an example. When you look at Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda separates, they compartmentalize all of their different attack structures. That way, if we take out one and interrogate, that one component doesn't know what the other three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten are doing. Uh, I was a human intelligence officer in Iraq, and I can tell you, we did get some good intel, uh, and, it, and we did hit a lot of good targets, but it was sort of like cutting grass that once you mow down um, the evil and you turn your back on it like you do in the movies, right? When you do, right when they kill the monster at the end and you turn your back and the monster rises, same thing. Same thing with drug cartels. Very resilient. Why? Because they're not just dealing with drugs, right? If they only dealt with drugs uh, for money, they might be in a world of hurt. Guess what else they do? Human trafficking, weapon smuggling, real estate. They've diversified. They're, they're able to survive and adapt. So now this comes to you. How are you doing this? When you think about your income, I strongly recommend to individuals that you no longer have just one job, one source of income. How are you going to diversify yourself for multiple skills to be able to survive in these very difficult or turbulent times? New research came out that talks about kids uh, today, that uh, some of the best measures to build resilient children is, drum roll please, guess what? Let them figure things out. We don't need to coddle them and look, we're all going to make mistakes. I'm a father with four kids. Trust me, we've dealt with these things in my household. And you will as well, if you haven't already, or your neighbor's kids. It, it, it's coming. But we want to teach our kids on how to survive, how to be kind, right? That's critical. Ethics, honor, integrity, fundamental core aspects of being a good human being, a good American, a good Christian, right? Those are absolutely essential. But how do we teach them about resiliency? We let them go through phases. We let them know what it's like to fail to build themselves back up. We let them get their own meals together. We let them do their homework, or maybe they don't, and then they get a failing grade, and then they learn from these things. Because at some point, they're going to be out of the house. Now, I remember a long time ago, I was called a helicopter parent because I circled around my kids. I do, uh, without a doubt. So is my wife. We do. And uh, we're in no way perfect parents. There is no such thing. We've read books. We've done all we can. And we still make mistakes. And we always will. That's just how it goes. But our kids know that we love them. We tell them that all the time. We also tell them that there's consequences. And we also tell them we're going to let them fail. And no matter what, we're still going to love them in the end. Now, on that failing, there's certain things you got to put a hard stop on, right? Uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, negative uh, friends. Know who your, uh, friend, your kids are hanging out with. Why? Because drug use is off the chart. One out of every five kids on average today is using an illicit substance. Like I'm 48 years of, of age. When I was 12 years old, I went through drug rehab, been there, done that. I understand. But I also understand that today's drugs especially fentanyl and others, um, you get one shot sometimes. And many of these drugs are absolutely destroying, killing uh, our kids. So 
We want to make sure that we build in this sense of, of honor and integrity and trust with our kids. The best way to do that in today's times is, hey, go drug test them. And that way they got an out now at school or with friends when their friends say, hey, try this. The kid can say, nope, don't want to. My parents drug test me. I don't want to get busted. It's a good option. So when we really think about the survivability of our kids, oh my gosh, it is a different world. It's a different world. I sometimes wish we didn't have cell phones and social media and I wish schools didn't allow cell phones in and we've grappled with this. It's nice to be able to reach out to your kids in emergencies, but I think the harm uh, overall to our society is greater than any good that comes of it. But that's for another episode. So for resiliency, um, think about pressure, right? That immense pressure over time can make you more resilient. And it has. Think about difficult circumstances or picture a, a pearl in a clam. How is that pearl made? Through immense pressure, right? Have you ever walked down a sidewalk and seen a little flower or a little piece of grass or a little weed growing up out of that crack, right? And there's nothing else around it but concrete and it's thriving and it's fighting to survive there. Imagine that uh, from a human nature perspective, uh, animals out there. The, the ones that are not strong don't survive. In human nature, though, we have a built-in hopeful kindness uh, with each other. We like to take care of each other. But there's also this problem in society, and you can see it in blue cities, where huge drug use, homelessness, there's no accountability anymore. Uh, there's no such rule of law. And when we lose accountability and rule of law, it allows human nature to become sort of lord of the flies and do whatever you want without consequence. Well, at some point, that collapses around you and it hurts not only your cities of San Francisco, LA, Oakland, New York, et cetera, but it hurts all of America. We're only as strong as our weakest link and that, those sort of crumblings of societal values is a complete opposite of building uh, resiliency. It is, it is an internal destruction of human lives and society that were built based on resilient concepts and resilient businesses and resilient leaders that built these skyscrapers, right? That nobody thought could be built that stand under the clouds. Well, now these resilient structures that stand in these American cities are unfortunately going backwards in their thinking. And I often wonder, could we still build in the way that we did? Could we still ramp up production uh, for a World War III in this country? Would we still have people enlisting if we were attacked? I don't know. I don't know. So look, keeping America strong is about making sure that we are as mentally healthy as we can. And look, we're all broken. We all have issues. I do. You do. Period. Right? But there's that old saying, you can't fix a problem unless you acknowledge one exists. Well, resiliency is about understanding success, failures, limitations, and then things that you will build in to make sure that you are able to bounce back. All right. Well, look, that was a, a teaser on resiliency. We'll probably address this in other episodes uh, as we continue to talk about this great country, where our country is today, and keeping America strong. Uh, continue to follow me on the Paul Chabot Show. want to thank our uh, supporters would like to thank GOP Agent, which I am a part of, gopagent.com, Republican real estate agents across this country looking to help you sell or buy your home. 
they do not donate any of their commission that they earn off the sale or purchase of your home to Democrats. Uh, they put their money where their mouth is. They love this country, uh, much like I do. So thank you. God bless each and every single one of you. Let's do the best we can to keep America strong. Garrett Baker. And I'm Paul Chabot. And we founded GOPAgent.com because America is in trouble. So why is this important to you? If you ever sell or buy a home, work with a Republican agent who shares your conservative values because they're not going to give money they earn from a commission on the sale or purchase of your home to support a radical candidate that goes against your values. A real estate agent earns a commission every time they help a client buy or sell a house. These same agents are required to pay dues to realtor associations. These associations have political action committees spending lots of money supporting candidates who reportedly support realtor values. In 2020 and 2022, the National Association of Realtors gave more money and supported Democrats over Republicans for political office. At GOPAgent.com, our licensed real estate agents won't give a dime to Democrats. Whether you're considering a move across the country or just across town, GOPAgent.com can help. Thank you and God bless.